0: If you have been a part of our podcast community for some time, you know the power of being a localist, someone that supports and celebrates their local community. Inspiring and promoting localism is a huge component of creating resilient, sustainable communities. As a localist, I want to toot the horn about my home. Tucson strives to be a leader in sustainability and resiliency, and many, many, many of us are localist. The inclusion of electric vehicle infrastructure into the community is an intentional effort on that path. I'm Gina Murphy Darling, and this is Down to Earth Tucson. Get ready to go electric Tucson. EVs in the desert, and we have the perfect person to educate us about everything. EVs, not to put the guest on the spot, especially here in the old Pueblo, but before I introduce our very special guest, I want to do a short shout out about something else that is important and impacts our community as well, keeping our air healthy until we are all proud owners of affordable electric vehicles. So I invite you to join a community-wide effort led by Pima County Environmental Quality's Clean Air Program to keep our air healthy to breathe. By skipping a single trip, I am not saying don't drive your car because I drive mine, but by skipping a single trip in your car or taking a no-drive day just once a week, you can reduce air pollution and greenhouse gases by more than a 1,000 pounds a year. Think about that. And it can be on a Saturday or a Sunday. We all benefit when the air is healthier, especially those with heart or lung conditions, or even now, those who are suffering a recovery from COVID-19. So please consider skipping a vehicle trip by walking, biking, sharing rides, or taking public transit. And here's the call to action. Complete the Healthy Air is in Our Hands pledge, which will be a link in the show notes, because it's one thing you can do to be a planet preserver. And I'm always looking for one more thing I can do. And if it does inspire you enough to do, do it just by hearing this, you do have a chance to win a $100 quarterly prize drawing. So remember, the link to the pledge is in the show notes for the podcast, and I hope you'll do it. Now, I don't say this a lot. Drum roll, please. And thank you for your patience. Please join me in welcoming our guest, Varun Thakur, Senior Analyst, Electric Vehicles, Clear Result. Varun, I am so wanting to get to this interview because I have so many questions so thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me Gino. It's a it's an honor.
0: It's going to be fun. It is really going to be fun. You know, I thought about this in preparing for the show and I want the audience to know more about you. So here I'm going to I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you want me to read some about your bio because I think it's really important as to how you got where you are which is being interviewed right now on Down to Earth, or do you want me to read it? Will you be will you be able to cover all the important things that I would boast about if I were you, or do you want me to take it away?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to my background a little bit. Please do. Yay! It really goes back to my roots. Uh, I was born and raised uh, in Mumbai, in India. Uh, it was I lived there till about till about the age of fifteen. Uh, and then my family immigrated uh, to the United States uh, and we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. <clears throat> you know, one of the most formative experiences of my life was seeing uh, when I got here, I enrolled into a magnet program uh, for inner city schools uh, to to bring diverse student populations to the inner city uh, and seeing a lot of the similar thematic things, uh, issues around environmental and social justice play out on both sides of the world uh, was a really formative experience for me uh, it made me want to uh, do work to help mitigate some of those issues uh, and so uh, that's what kind of led me down the path of uh, working in clean energy uh, I studied uh, engineering focused on alternative energy technologies at Arizona State University uh, and I've spent a good pa- part of the last decade uh, working on clean energy consulting.
0: So it's a great story to me. I mean, from Mumbai to Phoenix to clear result and making a difference. And thank you. I think you really did yourself justice in sharing that. And it's something that I wanted our listeners to be aware of. So I want to start with a really quick story before I start grilling you because there's so much I'm curious about. I am a partner with Chapman Tucson the Chapman Automotive Group. And about four years ago, their vice president that's in charge of all the operations down here, Neb Jonas, who you know, came back from Germany. And I think he was at like the international Volkswagen conference of all things Volkswagen. So I said, Neb, what's the scoop? And he said two words. This is like four or maybe even five years ago. He said, electric vehicles, EVs, EVs, EVs. They're coming, that's all they're talking about. And at that time, I looked at them, I said, are they nuts? What about infrastructure? I mean, how can they? How can we flip that switch? So let's flip that switch. That's four to five years ago. I am now convinced this is a possibility. But from your view, from what I call the 30,000 feet view as it relates to EVs, where are we? Because it seems to me we, we went from zero to 10 in five years, but now... What I'm sensing is we're going to go from 10 to 100, like, overnight. So what is happening in terms of infrastructure? Because that, to me, is really a lot of what it's about.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, Gina. Um, You know, there are simultaneous issues that are playing themselves out right now. Um, The cost of EVs is rapidly dropping from a few years ago when it was, you know, for the most part, limited to folks that could uh, afford the luxury segment of vehicles like Teslas, you know, the Model S's, $100,000 cars, uh, to today where someone like me can lease, um, you know, a non-luxury EV for not that much more than uh, what I was paying for my uh, regular, uh, you know, non-luxury sedan. Um, so, So that's one part of it. Simultaneously, we need to build out the infrastructure to support um, EVs as they proliferate. Uh, And, you know, that has been a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation the last few years. But I think now a lot of the decision makers, whether it be at the municipal or utility level, uh, understand that this is basically inevitable at this point that the future is electric uh, and it's getting here uh, a lot sooner than probably a lot of people expected uh, and so people are starting to make significant investments in EV infrastructure
0: really quickly I mean it, it is so working with you and let's you know talk about that for a minute I am so blessed because as part of my partnership with Chapman, I drive this Audi e-tron, and it is like being in a spaceship. I couldn't be happier, and it's not affordable for everyone. But the new VW ID. Four, mm-hmm. it's like hashtag OMG. <laughs> I think it's about forty thousand, and with rebates of seventy five hundred, it becomes an affordable car closer to the thirty thousand mark. And and it's amazing. I mean, I heard Neb talking about it the other day, and I was like, well, that might be the next Mrs. Greenmobile we see tooling around Tucson. I <laughs> hope. Hent hint, I hope Neb listens to this. So there's infrastructure, and then along with that, and you kind of mentioned it, do you see as with solar? as with LED lights. I mean, I've been doing this long enough where I see price points coming down, 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 down. Solar was so cost prohibitive 13 years ago. Now it's like the blessing. Do you think that the automobile industry will see more and more affordable cars because the infrastructure will be there to support it? Do you think the price points will keep coming down?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, again, I think it's inevitable Um like, you were kind of talking about where solar was around 2008. Uh, you know, everyone knew that the technology was ready, but from a price perspective, uh, it was still cost prohibitive and needed government support uh, in order to to be viable at the time or cost competitive. And today, uh, it's cheaper than pretty much any other power source, uh, conventional power source that's been around for 100 years and I definitely see a similar trend uh, taking place with EVs. You know, another aspect of it is there's the upfront cost of the car, but then there's also the operational costs of the car, which are vastly lower for electric vehicles. Uh, so I was able to uh, lease a similar segment car to the VW ID4s, the Kia E uh for a very affordable price. and. Kia was actually able to, uh, to take advantage of the tax incentive as part of the lease and give me a lower price in order to do that. Uh, and that, that's something that's going to be pretty much standard across most, uh, most vehicle types that still qualify for that incentive. But when I'm charging my car at home, I pay about 6 to $7 for 240 miles of range. So when you average that out over the co- over the lifespan of the vehicle, even today, what's referred to as the total cost of ownership is probably at parity or cheaper for a lot of EVs versus conventional ICE vehicles. Uh, but that upfront sticker price is still, you know, a barrier today because people have to find a way to get into the cars. And that can be cost prohibitive for people, but that is definitely going to come down significantly. Uh, and I, I definitely believe that in the next few years, they'll be cheaper than your conventional cars.
0: I agree. I agree. And there's, I mean, I, I don't want to be all over the place because the questions are coming in. You know, I point to my head and say, This just in, here's another question. So let's talk for a minute, if you're okay with it, about we're involved in what I, a really exciting partnership. And connecting green dots, which is one of my favorite things. And behind it all is TEP because they are driving a lot of this. They are giving unbelievably generous incentives for EV charging station installation. They're really partners in the community, if you ask me. So there's TEP. Chapman, Tucson, very involved, invested, and excited about participating in it. Then, you know, one of my heroes, Mike Peel from Local First, who is in a lot of driver's seats when it comes to localism and local initiatives. There's Mrs. Green's World, there's Hotel Congress. And then Mike even involved the state of Arizona to help provide funding to basically accelerate the installation of more charging stations. So what I've wanted to ask you, and we never have time on the calls, are other unique partnerships like this, are you seeing some other ones where there's public-private partnerships and everybody's helping with, you know, offsetting costs or contributing to them? What Are, are we unique or are there other things that you're involved with that are exciting to see happening?
1: Yeah, you know, obviously I'm biased because uh, TP is, is one of our clients and I really enjoy working with them. Me too.
0: I mean, full disclosure, everybody, it's no secret, right? They're one of mine too. You
1: know, I think right now, both TP and the city of Tucson, especially relative to its size, are a little bit ahead of the curve uh, in terms of the great investments they're making, the collaborations that we're seeing just kind of organically take shape within the community. Uh, I'm always pleasantly surprised when I ask folks that we're working with on these projects, you know, why did you choose to uh, to invest in in EV charging infrastructure? And it feels like nine times out of 10, they tell me, oh, I wanted to have this in my community. I wanted this green infrastructure in my community because I care about my community. Uh, and that's been really cool to see. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunity uh, to leverage what we call shared charging infrastructure, uh, which basically means multiple EV users uh, can use the same infrastructure. uh, So it kind of keeps the cost, the overall cost of society at a lower rate in order to build out this infrastructure. Uh, And then you can also layer in additional... Uh, intelligence into program designs that can uh, unlock different value streams of that shared infrastructure to do things like enable you to better integrate solar, uh, for instance, into your power grid.
0: Oh, you're kidding because I was going to ask you that as a senior analyst of electric vehicles. And I I, sometimes I actually, this is going to sound really weird, but I do crack myself up. And that's, that's another conversation, probably a whole separate podcast. But I can just see me sitting here in 20 minutes and saying, I never really asked Varun to talk about the role that Clear Result plays in all of this because people know about Chapman and Local First and Mrs. Greensworld and Hotel Congress, but Clear Result is not at the top of everybody's tongue or mind in these conversations. So what is your role in moving this massive initiative forward?
1: Uh, So Clear Result is one of the larger uh, clean energy consulting practices in the country, and we work with our utility clients Got it. Uh, all over North America to, uh, to basically help design Im- and implement these kinds of clean energy programs. Uh, and so our goal is to you know make the deployment of these programs as resource efficient and customer friendly as possible. Uh, So with this program that involves things like evaluating existing infrastructure of a site before the project is greenlighted, helping customers understand a cost approximation for what the project will entail and how much the TEP incentives, uh, how far they will go to help cover those costs, Uh, and even things like pre-qualifying lists of EV charging vendors uh, and training you know, pools of contractors that can help install these projects. So there's
0: a lot in that, in that whole conversation because there's so many parts of this that I'm sure TEP doesn't want to do that has to do with getting down in the weeds. There's a lot of paperwork and valuating and, and permits and all of those things. So how smart of them <laughs> to hire the people that are doing it? I mean, I would not want to do what, what you're doing. Not that end. No, thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, what, what I've noticed is that uh, there's some of these kinds of programs that are older that have just kind of been around for 20 years and go through the motions. Um, you know, you were talking about uh, LEDs, right? That program, right. everyone kind of knows how that operates. right? Uh, there's a lot of excitement around this program, even with the client. There's a lot of engagement across uh, different departments, Uh, And just as you were mentioning some of the unique collaboration opportunities, uh, you know, within the community, it's been really uh, fun to explore lots of new kinds of collaborations within the utility itself, because people do realize this is the future. It's a great way to support the community and engage with customers uh, on a whole other level. uh, And they're excited about it, too.
0: It is contagious. I mean, when I first heard about it, and I think it was from Francisco Castro at TEP, I was like, I am on this. I am so on this because who's not going to want an EV charging station on their facility, especially now that I have one. You really want to know where the next one is. And when I was up in um, uh, Albuquerque, a BMW station, we, we the the supercharging station that we went to all eight of them were down off grid which is like scary you can't just go to the next gas station but there's so many apps so i just you know pulled up an app on my phone and found one at a vw at a bmw um location open to the public so there's You know, I mean, I did not buy a BMW, but I was at a BMW dealership, so there's opportunities. So let's change change tracks for just a minute. Other than the obvious race to help mitigate CO2 emissions, greenhouse gases, that's probably the impetus behind my excitement. What are the benefits of electric vehicles for utility rate payers? Are there any?
1: Yeah, that's that's a really great question. Um, there, we through the statewide transportation electrification working group uh, that I was a co-chair on one of the subgroups of. Uh, you know, we were able to engage with a lot of experts around this, and a study was done that basically uh, projected out that electric vehicles should lead to lower uh, rates over the course of the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, As EV adoption grows, it has a positive impact uh, on electric rates. And what that really boils down to, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier, is that EVs are this flexible um, demand resource. uh, And the technology is really evolving, you know, maybe five or 10 years from now. Uh, you'll even be able to absorb power from the grid at a time when it's beneficial to and then put power back on from your battery when it's beneficial to. But even just today, um, the, the demand flexibilities that EVs offer uh, through smart program design, you can maximize the use of existing infrastructure uh, or what's called a utilization rate. You can bring that up which has a downward pressure on electric costs.
0: Well, that is music to my ear. And, and there's like this very personal share that I want to put out there. Do you know how great it is that I don't ever have to go to the gas station as someone that hates that and is not really <laughs> good at it and hates to smell like gasoline? And it just feels great that I plug my car in and see how many miles I have left and don't ever, ever, I don't ever have to think about getting gas. And it's it's very liberating to me because I never liked that anyway. I would try to always make sure that I left the car for James when it was almost close to E. So he was using it and then he had to go get gas. (laughs) And he knows that. It's no, I'm not like, that is not full disclosure for the first time. He'd say, why didn't you put gas in the car? Like, oh really, is it on E? Um, (laughs) That game was up pretty early on, but I just just think it's a big fat pain. What about um, the whole idea of long distance travel, if you can, if we can go there for a minute, because for around town, which most people's driving, how many would you say? I'm sure I should have list, looked up this statistic. Probably 95% of my driving is around town. Mm-hmm. Most people don't take long trips every week. But when I did take one, it definitely added time to my trip, like quite a bit of time because I was it was a 600 mile trip and we were rookies. Do you see a day when there's, I have my battery and I can go this many miles, 250 miles or whatever, and then I just stop the car and switch out batteries? Is it ever going to get that easy where I can put another battery in and keep going?
1: Yeah. So, you know, what you brought up, there's a lot of layers to that. So, you know, just going back to your previous comment as a recent, you know, uh, as someone who recently converted over to EVs as well, uh, There's a fun community around charging infrastructure. I'm not sure if you noticed this, Gina, like, uh, just like, it's not something that I would have thought of, but on trips already, you know, I text my friends who maybe have EVs and they tell me about charging stations they've used at this location. And it's really, I I think it's something positive and fun because, uh, there's an adventurous component to it but you're also doing something that's better for the planet so just on a personal level I enjoy that aspect of it um, you know I think what we're seeing again is that the non-premium brand EVs are, have already extended out to having that somewhere between 200 and 300 mile range be standard for newer uh, models right and what I feel is going to happen is that that's probably going to grow to three to 400 miles of range pretty standard over the next two or three years. Uh, simultaneously, the standard, you know, DC fast charging uh, capability uh, that cars are able to accept is also going up. So what started at was 50 kilowatts. This is pretty technical. Uh, you know, I don't expect people to necessarily follow it. Uh, but 50 kilowatts used to be the standard for models and that can get you from, you know, zero to 80% of your battery charge uh, in about an hour, hour 15, potentially, depending on the size of your battery. Uh, whereas today the standard is moving up towards 100 or 150 kW of charging uh, as a standard uh, acceptable amount that cars can take with your models. And that's only going to go up over time. As you mentioned, though, not over 90% of people's driving is their daily commute. And that typically for the US is under 40 miles a day. You can gain that plugging it just into your 120 volt outlet, uh, you know, in your carport over the course of six hours.
0: Totally. While you're sleeping.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. You don't even need to get the 240 volt charger. Uh, the level two chargers in order to support that level of driving mm-hmm. uh, for the longer trips, which again, you know, depending on your lifestyle is pretty rare, but as long as you plan and you can map out the DC fast charging stations, uh, you know, I think most people for me, it's been kind of personally refreshing that every 200 to 300 miles uh, I'll stop for about 30 minutes, grab a cup of coffee and plug into a DC fast charger uh, and get, you know, my battery back up to that 70, 80% level. Right, And then right. on to the next.
0: And make sure everybody who has one that you do plug into the fast charger because I was at one of them on this trip and I didn't because I was a rookie. And I came out and I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding. It's been 20 minutes and it only went up that much. And then I looked and I didn't have it plugged into the fast charger. And I did that. And then it's, I mean, the difference is really night and day. So it's its an adjustment. And I really want to emphasize your point. I was not in the same hurry I am, race to get there. Um, and I always made sure that I knew some locally owned restaurants in the area if I wanted to leave the car there because it's safe nobody can come and unplug your car and take it away so there's there's a quality of life component for me personally that I find enjoyable and i want to go back to what you said about the community like we're all nut jobs when we get to the ev charging stations everybody's talking about well how much how much do you get and when was the last time you charged up and how far are you going there is definitely an excitement that's contagious Even at the charging stations when there's six or eight people that are all charging their cars and standing outside. So I agree with you. It doesn't happen at the gas station, at least for me, (laughs) who tries to avoid the gas station, as I made very clear. Um, I think you mentioned it, but I want to make sure we covered it a lot because I'm not an ASU alum. I'm a Wildcat fan, Varun as in the women's basketball team that won last night. But um, ASU is doing so many wonderful things in the sustainability space that I applaud and embrace them. But is Tucson, it is embracing this, it seems to me. Levels of government, public, private, um, realtors, I mean, you name it. And is it, is it a little bit easier maybe because we are a smaller, more closely knit community? We have Mike Peel doing the local first charging, literally. So is it, do you feel like Tucson is on board and embracing the whole EV movement?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think that Tucson is definitely doing a great job you know, with something like this, there's so much work there is that needs to be done. There
0: really is. And the
1: baseline is pretty low. So obviously, I don't mean that in a way to say that people can take their, uh, you know, I'm saying this ironically, obviously, foot off the gas. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's more that I think I do think that there are some benefits to a city the size of Tucson uh where... There, and also being this historic, you know, kind of smaller college town that had that sense of community and is now growing, you still see a lot of that residual community bond. Yeah. So I, yeah. I do think Tucson is in some ways kind of ideally placed. Obviously, when you have the bigger cities like Phoenix, where I live, the scale of the impact is bigger. Right. But it can take a little bit longer. Right. To get there.
0: Right but those public private partnerships and the sense of community can certainly be um replicated in phoenix it's just it's it's just done a little bit differently so let me ask you this i've been reading a lot lately in many sectors about interruptions in supply chains it's in the medical profession it's in things at the grocery store it's in manufacturing parts have you felt any um, slowing down of the process because of COVID-19? Have you been able to observe anything in that space because of the pandemic? Uh,
1: so I've seen, you know, some, some minor project delays here and there uh, because of supply chain issues, or a lot of it has just been uh, things like municipal staff being overburdened and not potentially being able to get to some uh, piece of bureaucratic work, potentially. Uh, But overall, you know, I was just listening to this other podcast before this interview, and uh, the clean energy industry is just moving forward, uh, you know, at at a great pace. Uh, Despite COVID in 2020, uh, solar grew at a 40% higher rate than it did in 2019 in the U.S., electric vehicle adoption... Uh, has also continued to grow at a faster pace. Uh, 2021, um, I think the new EV models is about to go up tenfold across the world in 2021 to, I think, now 70 EV models that are available across the world. And I see that pace continuing. You know, it's, it's something where the technology is better, but it also promotes, uh, you know, the technology is better it is better for the environment, uh, but it also promotes economic growth. So I think that kind of intersection of positive positive impacts is just going to keep pushing it forward.
0: You know, it's it's really not hyperbole to say it's a revolution. It is. We haven't seen anything like this in our lifetime. And I know I'm quite a bit older than you, but we have had cars. That's it. That you put gas in your cars and this is exciting. And I want to know about what you have seen, heard, observed in terms of the public really embracing this, because I sense that they're not, it wasn't like it was four years ago where people looked at you like you you were nuts. If you said we're going to have a lot more electric vehicles, do you think we're getting past that where people are starting to see the possibility or is it just the early adopters like you and I that are jumping on board and saying, I want one, I want one?
1: You know, I think today the early adopters are definitely more vocal. I think this is the kind of thing that has very broad support, uh, you know, for the reasons I just mentioned, right? It's, it's better technology for one thing. Uh, when I talk to people about it, I talk to them about, the, you know, the first like the first time you saw your friend with a smartphone, realizing that flip phones would be obsolete pretty soon. <laughs> yes. That's the way I feel about electric vehicles compared to oh
0: my goodness. internal
1: combustion engines. Um, so, and, and you know, before you knew it, at first they were expensive. Before you knew it, everyone had one. And I definitely see a similar uh, trend playing out with EVs uh, where... Uh, You know, the early adopters are more vocal today, but then soon everyone will just see the benefit of it and switch over uh, and start to enjoy. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, uh, new communities forming around the new technology, just like you saw with smartphones. I see a lot of that happening.
0: Right. And I always like the expression, let's take a look at what are the big dogs doing. And the big dogs, the big automobile manufacturers, they're all on board. They're all on board. They're saying we're going to be all electric by this year or this year or this year or we're coming out with this new car. So, I mean, I think it's a it's a very robust space already. And I think that down the road... You know, the little guy might start a new car company, but the the people that have been doing this for generations and manufacturing cars and getting us safely on the road, they're on it. They are on it. Is from all that I can read. So as we draw this wonderful conversation to a close, and you answered so many of my questions so well, I want to ask the crystal ball question, Varun. So here's the crystal ball question. So you and I are sitting here, you're in Phoenix, I'm in Tucson, and it's 2023. And I wondered if that was far enough out. What does our community here in Tucson look like in terms of EV ownership and charging stations? Are we halfway there? Are we 20% there? Um, what do you think the trajectory is going to be? And I know that you can't have a solid answer, and I'm (laughs) asking someone that's an engineer (laughs) that really studies the data. But what is your thought just personally as an owner? Is it really going to accelerate as fast as I think it is, which I think is going to be pretty darn fast?
1: You know, uh, I've already started to see a change where, you know, before it was pretty rare, You know, you'd see maybe like one Tesla every week or two. Yes. Now it's every day I'm seeing at least, you know, 10, 15, 20 EVs as I, whenever, you know, obviously in today's world, I'm not going out as often as I normally do. But Right,
0: right. When we do go out, which I I did today too, it's like I was out on the road. I'm like, oh, this is what it's like. I like it here.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so... I haven't installed a level two charger in my garage yet, right? Uh, I just use my 120 volt outlet. But I do have a, I live in Midtown Phoenix and I have a level two charger at the hotel next door. And so I w- often will go over there, plug in, and then just go for a walk uh, and come back, you know, a couple hours later if I want a slightly faster charge. I've already noticed that people are finding that charger as people are moving through oh, man. Uh, the city. <laughs> yes. That charger is usually plugged in uh, as people are traveling. They're they're staying at that hotel because they have that charger. Um, you know, I was just volunteering at the vaccination center earlier this uh, this week, and I feel like maybe five percent of the cars that I saw there were electric. Which is a huge, huge change. Huge. Yeah. So, And
0: it will accelerate. I love your answer. I love your answer. And and some of these things I'm going to do, like in two years, I'm going to put it on my calendar. Let's do a podcast with Faroon and see what happened. Because I agree with you. And I, you know, I did, I was pretty mad at, at Elon Musk. And he actually didn't care. I haven't heard from him. But, um you know, they have charging stations everywhere. Talk about someone that paved the way. So I got over being mad at him. <laughs> and now he doesn't have to worry that somebody's going to say, did you know Mrs. Green is mad at you? But he did pave the way. Talk about, he's early, early adopter. And people are following in that in that trajectory. And I think they'll catch up. Because, it you know, to me, it would have been kind and wonderful and benevolent had he... Made those charging, um, you know what I want to say the the that you could use them in any car. Yeah, yeah. And he made it, you know, just to um, Tesla, and people said, oh yeah, well you can get an adapter now, and that's just another step. But he did pave the way, and now, you know, many are following. So, is there anything that you wish I had asked you that I hadn't before? I say thank you sincerely, and I'll see you soon. Is there anything that I missed, a glaring omission?
1: No, you know, I just, uh, one thing I would like to touch on is that, you know, folks often ask me, well, if you switch to an EV, it's not 100% clean. So why would I make that switch today? Uh, And, you know, one of the things I like to talk through with folks is today, transportation emissions are about 28% of emissions in the U.S. Uh, and if EVs are, let's say, 40 to 50 percent uh, clean, cleaner today, less emissions, if you think about it strategically and trying to tackle this huge global problem, you know, that's a very meaningful difference. If you're able to take a wedge of 10 to 15 percent off today, um, that's huge. And then, As other things happen, as batteries become cleaner, uh, as more renewable energy comes online, that wedge is only going to keep growing. Uh, And then when you factor in the fact that it's this flexible demand resource that can help integrate more renewable energy onto the grid, this one technology alone could represent a pathway to 25, 30% of our emissions being wiped off uh, the planet. So it's just a huge opportunity.
0: I am so glad you brought that up. I mean, and and it's a big miss for me. I mean, that's a great way, a very high note on which to end. And it's vast. I mean, it's a very, very big imprint. And we just did some training today to some homeless shelters here in Tucson about resilience. And we really are in a race to beat this clock of greenhouse gases, and we better hurry. <laughs> I mean, you know it, and I know it. Like, we don't have any time to dilly-dally, as my mother would have said. Let's get this done, and just changing the way that we, the the, the what we drive and how much we drive it and all of those things will just help all of us. Um the rising tide thing about lifting all ships. So thank you, Varun. I never got to have you all to myself for 30 or 40 minutes. And I'm so happy. And the rest of the team will be jealous because (laughs) we always have to get down to business when we're on these calls of making good things happen. So thank you for your knowledge and for choosing this path and for being willing to share that with us on Down to Earth Tucson. And I will see you again. And thanks, everybody, for listening.
1: Thanks, Gina. It's been a pleasure. And the feeling is definitely mutual.